You can have a seat. This is one of uh, not only my favorite mornings, but one of our staff's favorite mornings because of the child dedication that we have and the chance to have all of these parents. In this case, I think over the course of two services, there are something like 20 families and 24 children being dedicated. And, and just this sense, uh, the wonder and the sense of potential to have this many, this many parents saying, it's our deep desire to to live out this life in such a way that our children will know Jesus someday. And then for us as a church to have this huge privilege to get to walk beside these parents. And there are many of you that are, that you are the grandparents or you're the aunts or the uncles or the, some, uh, some close friends. And, and you're here today, and we are so glad that you're here today. And you may live local, and maybe your influence is on a daily basis. You may live far away, and maybe it's a more distant influence, but we're so grateful for you. And so grateful for you being here as well and, and standing um, behind and beside these parents with the same heart for them. Uh, so we're glad you guys are here. We have been in um, the book of Acts since Easter. We've been looking at what happened after that first Easter, the, the weeks and months that followed. And we'll be in Acts chapter 4 today. And so I'm going to catch some of you guys up if this is your, your visit time, your guest time to be here. But I, w- I want to actually start with something that the Apostle Paul wrote in 55 AD. So it's 20 to 25 years after the resurrection. And, and Paul's already traveled around the, the northern Mediterranean coast. And he's already been all the way to Greece. And uh, back in 50 AD, so five years before he writes this, he's in, in this big city of Corinth, and he tells people about Jesus, and there are quite a number of people that, that begin to place their life in Jesus, and they trust Jesus, they come to know him as the living Son of God. And so Paul's writing to them five years later, and he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, talking to these Christ followers, we now have this light shining in our hearts But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. So we have this light in our hearts, but we're these fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And and he writes some in this letter of 2 Corinthians. He writes about this treasure, and you can almost feel the wonder and the awe when he realizes that that out of their faith in Jesus, that they have come to, to know the living God. The God with all power, the God that made everything, and to know the living God and to begin to understand that his love for them is infinite. And throughout all of eternity, as they explore and experience the love of God, they'll never reach the end of it because it's infinite. And they're, they're awash in that sense. And, and to know the living God that has all power, infinite power, and to have this deep relationship through Jesus, this deep relationship, no barriers between them and God, with the God who knows everything. God, with all knowledge and all wisdom and all grace, and, and there's this wonder and awe that, that this treasure in Jesus has brought this stunning, surprising relationship with a fragile, flawed, fallen, mere human being. He's just blown away by that, this, this treasure in these fragile clay jars in his words that that the God of the universe would, would join in this kind of relationship of deep intimacy uh, of, of God and now son or daughter. Blown away by that. And then he's blown away, as you read further, he's blown away that this treasure is not just that, that they would know Jesus deeply, but the treasure is, is that they have the treasure of the good news of Jesus. Or as uh, many translations say, the gospel of Jesus. They have this treasure like they, they are the carriers of the news about Jesus 
to their family and their neighborhood and their world. They're the carriers of it. And Paul would write about this if you flip one more page from where I just read, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. He, he would say, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are God's ambassadors, or we are God's representatives. God's making his appeal through us. You can almost feel him go, can you believe it? Through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are Jesus' representatives. And there's this treasure. And then he says, but, but we're these fragile clay jars. It seems so unreasonable. We would be the recipients of the love. We'd be the carriers of the message of this love. It seems so unreasonable. And he, I know he's reflecting because he talks about it being fragile clay jars. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is about us. We know this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you know this is true about followers of Jesus. Um, we're flawed and we sin. We're flawed and we sin, and yet we represent Jesus. And in our sin, we understand. And if you're, if you're not a follower, you understand too. When we represent Jesus in our sin, we, we so misrepresent him. We so discredit him. And some of us, if we live in the same sin for a long time, very openly, it just dismantles everything of this message of Jesus. And Paul knows that. And he knows as we follow Jesus, if we, if we grow, that the sin becomes less and less and less and less. But there's still sin. And so with these fragile clay jars that carry this message, we often lose sight of the importance of the message um, with these fragile clay jars. And this is where I want to land today. And, and while we carry this message that is the hope of the world, and it's the hope of every single human being, we are so often timid and afraid. This is true of almost every one of us Christ followers. We're so often timid and afraid and when I even wrote this down, it, it just doesn't even make sense, and yet I've lived there many times. We're, we're afraid of what people would think about us. If we tell them what we really think and have learned about Jesus and experienced, we're afraid what they'll think. They'll think we're a nut. I <laughs> think we're a nutcase. I think we've lost it. They'll think we've become religious. They'll think we've become pushy, even if we do it in, in pure grace and love. We worry about their opinion. We worry about maybe losing friendships. We worry about if it's in a business world. We worry about losing a deal. We worry about losing our job. We, we are timid and afraid. Now, there are a few exceptions. There, there may be a small handful of you here that are followers of Jesus, and you've never been timid or afraid, okay? And, and I would just say, don't get too full of yourselves, because I know some of you, you've got other problems. Yeah, you don't have that problem. you got other problems, so don't, don't get too full of yourself. But most of us, and I'm including myself in the very middle of it, most of us have been timid and afraid. But here's the deal. Here's where we go back to Acts, is that Peter and all of the disciples were once very timid and very afraid. On the night Jesus was arrested, which had been a few short weeks before Acts 4, Jesus is arrested, and they all abandon him. And Peter's the chief abandoner because he not only abandons Jesus, but he gets asked three times Someone recognizes him and he connects him to Jesus and he says, no way. And finally, in the end, he's cursing. Say, I never knew the guy. I never knew the guy. Can you say timid and afraid? And then Jesus rises from the dead and shows himself to the disciples again and again. And yet for 50 days after the crucifixion, they're still timid and afraid. They're still hiding. And understandably, because the ones that killed Jesus now would, will gladly kill them 
if there's any threat of this Messiah thing going on, they'll gladly kill the carriers of the messenger as well. So they're, they're timid and afraid. And last week, Dana did a fantastic job teaching about how there's this seismic shift that began. Uh, it was Pentecost. It was 50 days after the crucifixion. And God sends his Holy Spirit like, to live inside those that trust Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit, which is the entirety of God's power and wisdom and love and grace, living inside of Jesus, this, this intimate relationship inside of a human being, of the very presence of God inside of someone, and it all begins to shift. And so um, in chapter 4, a little bit of time has passed. Uh, Peter and John are walking to the temple for worship one day, and there's this man that's been lame his entire life, never been able to walk. He's over 40 years old. And Peter looks down, and the name of Jesus heals this man. And everyone knows about it in the town, and Peter instantly says, hey, it wasn't me. You remember Jesus that you killed? He's back. He's risen from the dead. It was Jesus has done this. And, and word is spreading, and it gets to the religious leaders who killed Jesus. And so in the beginning of chapter 4, they arrest Peter and John. And they have them thrown in jail that night. They bring them out the next day and, and to begin this trial process. And again, they're the ones that have just killed Jesus. And, and they'll stop at nothing to stamp this out. And so I'll pick up in Acts 4, verse 7. It says, uh, they, the religious leaders, they brought in the two disciples and they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God's given no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. He's pulling no punches. He could have so easily said, he would have been lying. He would say, we healed him in the name of Jesus. He was a guy that passed away a few weeks ago. Right? I mean, it would have been less abrasive, wouldn't it? Or he could have said, he was healed in the name of Jesus, and he was the guy that, w- that was killed a few weeks ago. But he leaves nothing unsaid. He says, this man was healed in the name of Jesus, who you crucified. So let's just put it all on the table. You crucified him. And now, and now Jesus is the one, the only one through whom every human being can be saved. No one can be saved apart from Jesus. And it goes against everything, everything that they believe Everything that they defend, everything goes against all of that, all of that. There's this, there's this boldness, there's this, there's this um, complete shift that's occurred. And so the religious leaders then uh, become, um, you know, they're, they're blown away by this boldness. They didn't expect it because these are the ones that had run. These are the ones that had been in hiding. They're surprised by that. Uh, there's this guy in front of them that everyone knows has been miraculously healed. And so they send out... Peter and John outside the chamber for a while, they have this conversation. They decide that they'll threaten them. They bring them back in. And so they threaten them. They say, never, never, never again are you allowed to speak the name of Jesus. To which in verse 19 it says, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. 
He's saying this to the ones that just killed Jesus, and the logical expectation, and Peter and John had to think it, anticipate it, is, well, they'll just kill them too. But the response is, who do you think, who do you think we should obey? We're going to obey God. We, we can't stop. We can't stop. What, what fostered this boldness in them? And the big answer we got last week, the big answer is the Holy Spirit. But I want, to, I want to cut down to the details of it. I want to cut down to the details. And I want to go back to what Paul wrote in AD 55 in 2 Corinthians 4-7, where he says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And we're these fragile clay jars. If it was just us, we got nothing. We got nothing. You tap us, we crumble. We got nothing. But it's the power of God in us, the power of God in us. And, and what, where this all goes is, is that the boldness the disciples had comes from God, and, and they, they got that boldness because they leaned deeply into the relationship with God. And this chapter unfolds four key ways that that happens. There are these four key ways. And I'm going to walk through it as the chapter unfolds it, and then I'm going to pull it all together at the end and say this is what it could look like, okay? It's, it's this model for us. Uh, to begin with is this, this, the disciples' relationship with God. The first thing is this. It says in Acts 4, 8, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, what does that mean? It says in Scripture that everyone who begins to follow Jesus, that God sends the Holy Spirit to live within that person and he sends the entire Holy Spirit, not part of the Holy Spirit, but the entire Holy Spirit from that very first moment of faith, of genuine faith, the Holy Spirit begins to live in that person. And so now to say, and you'll see this throughout some of the New Testament, it talks about now, now like Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it clearly, it can't be saying that, well, he had part of the Holy Spirit before, now he's got all of it. Or he had none of it, now he's got all of it. He's always had all of it. He's always had all of it. So what does it mean when it says here he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest to you that, that there's this parallel thought that you and I will well understand that's going to translate for us. If, if I were to say to you that yesterday um, some tragic thing happened and I was filled with fear. Yesterday some horrible thing happened and I was filled with fear. You would understand, wouldn't you, that, that fear was controlling me, wouldn't you? I was, I was under the control of fear. I was filled with fear. You would understand I was in the grip of fear, right? I was filled with fear. And, and this translates to what I believe God is saying here. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And to be in the utter grip of the Holy Spirit. And this always requires our yielding to the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, as I am... The Holy Spirit is always in residence in us, but he doesn't force himself upon us to direct our steps and thoughts and words. And so there has to be this, this continual yielding because he's not forceful. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that, don't you? you know? He's not forceful, but he's there. But you probably know if you follow Jesus very long, you probably know that when you yield, when you say, God, uh, have your way. Like, show me, teach me, direct me, give me strength, give me courage, have your way. 
And I think that's what has happened here. That's what this is describing is that, is that Peter, he's had the full presence of the Holy Spirit. It's saying right here, it's saying he is, he's fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. He's fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. He's in the grip of the Holy Spirit. Last uh, Sunday afternoon, I'd just gotten back from this infusion weekend that a lot of us had led. It's this marriage weekend that we've just started in recent months. It's a great, great weekend, by the way. If you're married, if you're married, you've you got to put this on your radar. But I'd just gotten back from that. I was anxious to hear about how Sunday morning had done. Dana was teaching. I always hate to miss it when he teaches because it's always so good. I always watch the video, but I hadn't watched the video. And, and I talked to this uh, lady who's one of the boldest followers of Jesus that I know. Bold, bold follower of Jesus in a grace-filled way, deep impact in her world, wherever she goes. And I talked to her, and she said that, that what Dana said had deeply stirred her on Sunday morning because he talked about the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading. And she said, I realized what I knew had happened on Saturday the day before. She said there were twice... I, I knew the prompting of the Holy Spirit to speak to someone in a way that might lead them toward Jesus. And I ignored it twice. I ignored it twice. And, and she's one, and I've seen enough, she's one that, that yields so much more than most of us and is so bold. But, but she was saying she had a Saturday where she wasn't yielded to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whispered twice. And as I've done far too often, and probably you have too, she just ignored it and kept right on going. And what God said through Dana last week just stirred her, just stirred her in that. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, this is what the Holy Spirit can do within us. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. He's not given us this spirit of, of timidity and fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And the disciples, the disciples, as you read chapter 4, I mean, they, they deeply yielded to the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit prompted, they simply did. And they had boldness out of that, boldness out of that. It's the first thing. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, or they were yielded to the Spirit. Second thing is this. It's in Acts 4.13. Um, Peter's made this strong declaration about who Jesus is. In verse 13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And this is the second key. They, were, um, they had been with Jesus. And they had they'd been with Jesus when Jesus had skin on, definitely. Three plus years. They've been with Jesus when Jesus had skin on. They would continue to be with him in their times of reflection and prayer with him um, beyond the resurrection. They would continue to be with him, but, but they had been with Jesus. And, and here's, the, here's the key for us Christ followers. Just like the Holy Spirit is always with a Christ follower, Jesus is always with a Christ follower. The question is, are we always present with him? Are we really present with him? He's present with us. Are we really present with him? And it almost always boils down to there's this, there's this transformation that happens in a human soul when we consistently have time just with him. To, to be just with Jesus. There's a transformation of the soul. And what it usually looks like is, is to sit down with the Bible 
and to sit down and have some time to pray. And in that, in that uh, mixture of, of reading what God says in Scripture and praying, there's this conversation that emerges. There's this presence of Jesus in that. And, and, and there's something unique that happens when it's just you and Jesus that, that just tends not to happen if it's you and Jesus and more. Okay? Whatever God can do in this setting and God works in this setting, there's something unique that happens if it's just you and Jesus in that setting just with him. My wife's name is Marie. We began dating 40 years ago this September. We dated and were engaged for about two years. Uh, Coming up on on 38 years of marriage, um, when we were married, then we began to live together, and the time with Marie, um, endless, 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 endless hours. And, and, And she has rubbed off on me. And in the best of ways, the best of ways. And some of them are, are very simple ways. Um, when we first got married, I was, uh, I, I just junk up wherever I was. I didn't really like it, but it was easy. And, and she's gently rubbed off on me through time. It wasn't that she told me to change that. I just got to liking like our house being neat and tidy and all that. And over the course of time, like I've become one of the ones that creates it that way now. Just by being with her, she's transformed me, and it's an attractive transformation. Um, she's transformed me into understanding people better than I used to. She's transformed me into, from those early years, those early years she helped me get, get a healthy balance of, of work and the rest of, of life. She helped me with that. She's helped me, she has this massive love for God's creation, and, and I've grown this love for the beauty of God's creation in, in birds and flowers and in dogs. And um, some of you, I, you don't believe that. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm not fully there yet. I mean, this is our dog. Um, he died yesterday. No, he didn't. He just looks like that all the time. This is just how he looks. And how do you fall in love with something that just looks like it's stuffed? But, but I've come to learn... It's the best kind of dog. It's the best kind of dog. But, but all of that, I mean, just being with her, I'm, I've been and I'm continuing to be changed by her and so much more profoundly just being with Jesus. We're changed. We're changed. And out of the change, we begin to see people and things more like he does. We begin to see the world as he sees it. We begin to care more about what he cares about. And out of that comes boldness. The disciples were with Jesus. The key for us is to be with Jesus. Then in Acts uh, 4, 24 to 27, um, Peter and John were, they were finally released with a bunch of threats. They go back to the other followers of Jesus. And I'll pick up with them going back. It said, and then so they told the other followers what happened. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And then listen to what they prayed. O sovereign Lord, like you're the God of all power, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through, your, through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why are all the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. 
They're saying, a thousand years ago you wrote this. You're the God of all power. And there are these little, little ants on the planet who oppose the Messiah. Verse 27, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. And what they're doing, they're remembering who God is. They're remembering who God is. And, and actually, their prayer quotes Psalm 2. And they probably would have memorized all of Psalm 2 with their training. And they quote the first couple of verses about, you're the God of all power. And the day will come that the nations and the powers of the nations will oppose the Messiah. And what they don't quote is the verse 4 that follows this. In, in the face of that opposition, it says, God laughs. God just laughs. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> they don't begin to see, do they? God says, they don't begin to see. This is, this is, this is almost funny. They, do they not know who I am? And at the very end of the psalm, it says, those that are loyal to the Messiah are filled with joy, are filled with joy. So they're remembering who God is. And in the face of these religious leaders, they're thinking, who are they compared to the God of all power? God said this would happen. In the face of Rome and the Roman Empire that, that the world cowers before, they're thinking, who's the Roman Empire compared to God? Compared to God. And so when it comes down to what the religious leaders want us to say and do, or the Roman Empire's want, Empire wants us to say and do, versus what God wants, it's a no-brainer. Like even a logical person, a logical person would say, of course, they were remembering who God is. And then finally, the fourth thing that they do is in verse 29 to 30, this is how they, they continue their prayer. And, and before I read the prayer, think about this. Uh, they've been threatened to be beaten, and if, not, if that's not enough, then to be killed. They've been threatened. What would you pray for? If you were in their shoes and the threat is to be beaten and maybe killed, what would you pray for? I would be praying for safety. God protect us. God protect us. This is what they prayed. This is, um, let me pick up in 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, just make us bold. Just make us bold. And then work. Heal people. Show people your power so they'll have reason to believe. Just give us boldness. Now, to pray for safety, it's a great prayer. It, I wouldn't suggest we not pray for safety. They just didn't even think about it. They said that the Trump prayer, like the Trump prayer, pray for boldness, pray for boldness. And so it says in verse 31, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with or, get, or yielded to the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. God gave them boldness. And as history begins to unfold in chapter 5 and beyond, actually what happens is the persecution would intensify and the good news of Jesus spread like wildfire. Stunning, stunning, stunning. What would it look like in my life and your life? I, I talked about these four things, about being filled with the Holy Spirit or being yielded to the Holy Spirit, about being with Jesus, about remembering who God is, 
and, and then about um, praying for boldness. What would it look like? And let me give you a very simple, very simple pattern. It's not the only one, but it's not hard to do. It's not complicated. It's not even hard to remember. But if you're like me and there's life that happens, then jot these down. Very simple things. I'm going to give you two things. Very simple things. This is what it would look like. First, number one is this. Is, is each morning, be with Jesus. Each morning, be with Jesus. Just you and Jesus. And if you were here on Easter with us, there was this imagery that comes out of Scripture that talks about there was a curtain that, that indicated the separation between man and God caused by sin. And literally, literally, physically, when Jesus died, that curtain ripped in two. And, and I carry in my journal, and I open it up each morning when I'm with Jesus, and I've got that torn piece of cloth that those of us who had, and, and I'm looking at it, it's torn, and I am in his presence. I'm with Jesus. And, and it would look like this. This is, how, this is how conversation happens back and forth. I, I have my Bible there that I spent some time reading. I'm in Acts right now. I've been in Acts for a long time. Uh, you could join us in Acts. You can be any place. But, but I spent some time reading. And I, spent some, I spent some time talking to God, giving him my thoughts and my questions. I spent some time listening. If the Holy Spirit wants to prompt above and beyond what Scripture says. But between, between reading what Scripture says, which is God's word to us, and listening, I can say virtually every morning, I hear God speak. It's almost always through Scripture, black and white, almost always through Scripture. Sometimes it's Spirit's prompting. And, and then I, it's, just, it's just conversation, being with Him. And years ago, it was, it was 10 minutes. But I thought, is there anything more important? That could shape my whole life, which indeed it has. Is there anything more important? And before I left the oil business, um, not by plan, it had grown to 30. And I'm not saying this to give you any expectations, uh, but I'm just telling you what it can become. It just grew to 30. It was too important, too good. And these days, and I'm a different season of life than most of you, these days it's an hour usually. it's, It's the hour that changes everything or it's the 10 minutes that changes everything as well and and in that time when you're reading and praying remember who god is remember who he is the god of all power of all grace of all love of all holiness of all justice but also all mercy of all knowledge remember who he is he trumps everything and everybody and then, if you're in a season like I am, pray for boldness. Pray for, just ask him. Pray for boldness. And then the second thing is this. second thing is this. That, that's the morning. That's the morning with some, some carved out time. second thing is this, is throughout the day, be filled with or yield to the Holy Spirit. Continually throughout the day. Just as, as it comes to mind, as, as God prompts you, just, just consciously say, I, I want to fully yield to your spirit. Speak to me, I'll listen. If you give me directions, I'll obey. Uh, I, I am yours. Just continually, it's, it's a throughout the day kind of thing. Just continually yield to the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you'll, you and I will be like Peter. We'll be, as Scripture says, we'll be filled with, or we'll be, we'll be under the control, and we'll be in the grip of from which power comes. Very quickly, what can it look like then? It's so many times I have failed, so many times 
Timidness and fear, timidity and fear have stopped me. Early this, earlier this year, I felt the prompting of the Spirit to call a man who I've been very loosely acquainted with for many years. At best, on rare occasion, I would say good morning on a Sunday with him. I don't think we've ever talked on the phone uh, over the course of many, many years. I'm not a phone talker. I felt prompted to call him. I called him. No one answered. Done. I did the call. Pretty soon there's this call back, and the person says, there's a number I didn't recognize. My name is so-and-so. I'm returning a call. It's the guy. And so I said, well, I'm Rick Baldwin. I'm the pastor at the church you go to. And there's silence. I know what he's thinking. I wish I hadn't returned that call. <laughs> Anybody else. I wish I hadn't returned that call. There's this prolonged silence. And then he says, you would not believe. This never happened. I've never prayed this this morning. I prayed I could talk to you. And there was a conversation that has unfolded, and God has worked in that conversation. It was just the Spirit prompted, make a phone call. And I've learned through the years, as only God can do through any of us, there was a phone call I did not even know. There was someone struggling with the thoughts of suicide, and God used that phone call. I didn't even know at the time to, to turn the direction. There was a phone call. I didn't even know at the time that someone, as we hung up, someone gave their life to Jesus. I didn't even know. Just the prompting of the Spirit, just, just do it. Just do it. There's a time years ago, I felt prompted to go see a man who I barely met uh, on the far west beltway uh, to have lunch with him. It was a busy week, but felt the prompting. Had lunch with him, had conversation with him. It was pleasant, pleasant. Uh, it seemed to go nowhere. So I spent three and a half hours, and nothing seemed to come of it. And I would learn much later that um, maybe a couple years later, that was one, that lunch was one of several things God used for this person to give their life to Jesus. And then as years, several years more have passed, and now all that God's done, uh, this person has been used by God to touch hundreds, if not thousands of people in this church. And, and it was just, just this prompting, just make a lunch appointment. And at the time, and this often happens, at the time I drove away and as time was unfolding, I thought, well, that was a dud. You never know. Uh, years ago, I, I felt this prompting. There was a man that managed a restaurant that I frequented. I felt this prompting, um, build a friendship for the sake of the name of Jesus. And I did, and so many times we sat down, so many conversations about God and about Jesus and life, and went on for a long, long time, and I would linger at this place, just hoping he would show up, and I would, I would linger and have conversations that sometimes would go on and on with him, and then after a long period of time, he gets transferred outside my circumference to the restaurants I can go to, and he's gone. And to this day, this day, it appears nothing's come from it, but I think he's still alive. God's not done yet. For all I know, God's already worked in it. it it's just, you never know. I have a friend, met Jesus here um, deeply, you'll do the Spirit, and began to do his job like he thought Jesus would do it. Began to manage his business the way he thought Jesus would manage it. And as he did that, the morale went sky high, and prophets went sky high, but what he did was very foreign and frightening to his superiors, and he would eventually lose his job. Scary thing. Uh, he had no regrets, but scary thing. 
But he just felt prompted by the Spirit, just do this like Jesus would. This is God's journey that we would no longer be timid and afraid. If you're a follower of Jesus, we would no longer be timid and afraid. And I think in Acts 4, God's given us this glimpse of how to increasingly become that kind of Christ follower. Father in heaven, pray for the ones in this room who don't yet know Jesus that they might um, take a step toward him, maybe even this day. Maybe even this day say, I, I yield my life to you. Or maybe a step to explore. And Father, I pray for those of us that know Jesus, that with increased abandon, we would lean into this relationship as we've talked about in such a way that boldness is a result. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick.